Okay, when we talk about politics, the first thing that we just need to understand right now is, is politics matter. They matter, okay? Uh, like it's, it's impossible to say, oh, the, this just doesn't matter. It's not a thing. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you what, I was watching the, the debate this last week, and as I watched that, I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, and, I, and I was just thinking about it, and then, and then I had this sobering thought. I went, man, like, like I see these two individuals going at each other, and the sobering thought that I had was, this is exactly what we're doing. And it was, it was, in a sense, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow. As, as I'm looking at that, and, and I'm trying to dis, disconnect myself from it, you know, maybe you even turned it off, and you're trying to disconnect, but all of a sudden, this truth hits you that, wait a second, this is a reflection of us, our culture, our country. See, politics matter because politics inform policies that ultimately impact people. And God loves people. God created people. See, we feel skeptical and angry towards other Jesus followers uh, like no other time that, that I've seen. And I said this four years ago, but, but I think it's actually worse. Um, because of these political differences that we're seeing in each other, uh, and we're seeing uh, either through the lens of social media, we're seeing through a shared email, a shared text, a shared video, uh, a conversation. And, and, and we're just seeing these things where, where we're in such disagreement with people over their political views that, that we're to the point with some that we're even questioning their faith. How can they be Christians and support that? I've heard that multiple times. And we feel and, and, and think this way, and this is a natural thing that we're going to think and feel uh, because the work of government is fundamentally concerned with matters of justice. And people who have been justified by Christ are going to care about justice, and they should care about justice. They care about righteous judgments. See, one of the things that we have to understand this morning is God instituted governments to establish a basic platform of justice for everyone created in his image. And, he, and, he, and, he, and all throughout scripture, we see different verses that, that affirm that. In, in fact, in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6 here, uh, really in the beginning, it says, And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In other words, I am setting up a situation where men, a government, where men are going to be held accountable to other uh, men and women. So there's going to be rulers, there's going to be uh, ones dishing out that authority uh, designed by God. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 10, verse 9, it's talking about Solomon, and it says this, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. And then if we go to where you're parked in, in Romans 13, uh, verses 1 through 7, and you can read along with me, um, a section that maybe some of us have, have tried to conveniently avoid uh, during these turbulent times. Have you ever noticed like there's certain uh, passages in scripture that are extra convicting at different times and you just go, oh, I'll just leave that alone for a little bit. But Romans 13, 1 through 7, it's unavoidable. It says this. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good." But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he or she does not bear the sword in vain. For he or she is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Yeah, I know, that, that kind of hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially with everything that, that we're going through and what potentially, uh, when we think about um, an election and when we think about just uh, how, how we, we even see our governing authorities locally uh, using that authority and we see them wielding that. And it's tough when you look at verses like this when you may have a difference in opinion, a different view, and, and, and feel like you're called to respond. Listen, we're called to resist when it contradicts God's word. When, 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 when they, when they are, are taking you into a place in opposition to God's word, that's when you oppose, okay? Uh, but, but you've got to understand this. Paul is writing Romans 13, uh, and, and, and guess who's the leader? Guess who's the emperor at this time? Nero. Now, if you go home today and Google Nero and, and look at persecution, he is right there at the top of, of leaders that persecuted Christians in horrific ways. Horrific ways. And so Paul is writing this, understanding and knowing that that's the emperor. That's who he's under. And so there is, like, I think there's like this, this humbling process that we all need to take in this posture, knowing that if he can write that then we need to check ourselves even in this. See, um, we see God created expectations not only for government, but how we respond to them. But what we essentially see here in how he created government is what this means is our arguments, our conversations about the election, they're essentially about justice. See, Christians should oppose injustice. So as Jesus followers, when someone disagrees with you, your instincts tell you that they are choosing injustice or unrighteous judgments. And what does that do? What should it do? It makes us angry, right? Amen? Some of us have been angry. But here's the reality. We have to be very, very careful because what we see happening is we see us taking um, God, Bible principles, and, and, and you know, there's just certain uh, areas where it is very clear when it's a political matter because the Bible will specifically speak to it. But you need to also understand that there's areas, we call them Christian freedom areas, where the Bible doesn't specifically address this political policy or issue, and, 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 and so what, what do you do with that? The danger for some of us is we take that and we go, oh, this is what God says. 
and we, and we pull it over there. Uh, and what we need to understand is sometimes we can be guilty if we're not careful. We can start blurring the lines of what is God's will and God's word saying versus my own. And I can hold people to a standard accountability, not based upon what God's word says, but where I land on certain issues. And that is a dangerous thing that we have to continually be aware of because guess what, you guys? Left to ourselves, that fallen heart, that fallen nature that Christ redeemed, guess what? Guess where it goes to? It goes to self-righteousness and it goes to self-justification. That's what happens. Like, like, listen, and, and how does it happen? Well, it happens even as a kid, right? We think we're right. We think our ways are the right ways in doing things. Okay, even um, I, was, I was the middle child of three boys, and I remember when we would get into a fight, um, as kids tend to do, and siblings tend to do especially, and I remember my, my mom or my dad saying, all right, tell me what happened. Now, that was an invitation. So tell me what happened. Now, here's what they got. They got three different accounts from three different boys who are all saying, I'm right. Okay, we're all right. We all felt justified. We all felt righteous in, in what we did, right? And, and, and so that is something as a child you have, and it doesn't leave. Like, like it's something we have to continue to fight against. And even more so now, as we think about the heightened uh, urgency, we think about just the divide, we think of the divisiveness around us. We, if we're not careful, we will revert back into that fighting posture of I'm right, you're wrong, no matter what. And we got to be careful. We got to be very careful with that. Because all throughout the Bible, we see self justification, and we see it actually, unfortunately, in many sinful actions. There's this basic posture that we have to guard against. See, when we are born again, Christ became our justification, He became that. See, because of Christ justifying you so you no longer have to justify yourself, we're able now through the power of the Holy Spirit to see the plague in our own eye as, as opposed to the speck in our brother's eye. And we're able to go to the Lord with it and we're able to even love through that because of Christ. Now here's the other thing we need right now. We need wisdom. Amen? Man, do we need wisdom. See, here's what's so, uh, so difficult right now. See, see, two Christians, two Jesus followers might agree on biblical or theological principle, but disagree on which policies, methods, or tactics best uphold that principle. So this is what's difficult, you guys. You and I could, could essentially agree theologically. We could, we could agree uh, about the gospel. We could, we could agree about what the Bible says about this particular topic. But the reality is, like, let's talk about, like, like poverty and, and helping people out of, uh, of, of poverty. We could all agree on that, but the policies uh, that we believe that would help that, that need to be enacted, we could disagree on that. We could. We could disagree uh, on, on trade. We could disagree on taxes. All these other things uh, that, that we could find ourselves disagreeing on, but still aligning together theologically. 
aligning in, at the heart and the intent of the Bible. And so what do we do with those situations when it's like, okay, God, I feel like this could be you, this could be you, this also could be with you. You guys, that's when we need his wisdom. We need his wisdom. See, some things are not clear in Scripture, okay? They're just not. Like, like you will hear me say, because so, we go verse by verse. And, and if you were around for Ephesians, man, I said some stuff that I know was unpopular. I know it wasn't trending in Christian culture. And I know they would say, hey, probably should avoid that section of Scripture. But we didn't because we're passionate about truth, right? We're passionate about saying what the Bible says. You guys, there are going to be different times that the Bible is going to specifically speak to a specific political issue that is on the ballot. It may, and, and, and guess what? We're not going to avoid that. We're going to say it. We're going to speak that. Um, and, 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 and honestly, those are the easy things for me. I feel like, I feel like, oh, good. Like God's word says specifically, it addresses this, it's clear. But it's, it's very tough when there are other things uh, that, that you go, man, are we going to speak directly to that? Well, man, Scripture uh, doesn't speak directly to this issue. This is an area we would call a Christian freedom, uh, where as Christians we have uh, to seek out God's will, God's intent. And the only way that you can do that um, is by getting his wisdom. You need his wisdom. When you think of all the things right now swirling around us politically, we need God's wisdom. You know, you look at Solomon uh, and what Solomon, a king in the Old Testament, you, you, is considered the wisest man to ever live. You think of what he went through and you even think of a situation where they bring this baby and they're like, whose baby is it? It's mine. It's mine. And, and, and we go, oh, just read the Bible, Solomon. And he's like, oh, no, it's not in here. What did he do? What did he do? God gave him wisdom. We need God's wisdom to navigate through these things. And when the Bible doesn't specifically speak to it, you don't go, oh, just the Bible doesn't speak to it. I'm just going to like, whatever. No, you, you go, God, I need your wisdom in this decision. I need this wisdom in how I handle this. I need this wisdom in how I interact with people as a result of this decision. God, I want to be in alignment with your will. Above any other will, I want to be in alignment with yours. We must respect our brothers and sisters when it comes to these uh, different uh, Christian freedom issues. Because we see, even in Romans 14, 1, it calls these opinions, which are things that we should be able to agree to disagree on as Jesus followers. These are the non-essentials, essentially, of what we're looking at. See, uh, political judgments, they depend on figuring out how to apply our biblical and ethical principles to the specific circumstances. And that's why we need God's wisdom for those moments. You know, in Romans 15, 5 and 6, it says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see is the gospel, what he calls us into, is, is, is essentially something that will harmonize us. It will align us. It will bring us together. 
That's the power of the gospel. But the reality is this. What he's saying here is the gospel can create unity in the midst of diversity, but it does not create uniformity. In other words, you don't lose actually who you are. Like you don't just become this like weird clone that's no longer you uh, or that. No, you're still you, but through the power, through the transformation of the gospel, God brings you into alignment, into unity, not only with him, but other people. And it's an incredible thing. And that's what he, he calls us into. And so what we have to understand and remember, church, is that what unites our church is Jesus. As we read in Ephesians, the theme of Ephesians was what? You are now in Christ, okay? This is something new. The church is new. Uh, being a Christian is a new thing that he brought us into, that he adopted us, adopted us into, and we are now in Christ. That's what unites our church, not partisan politics. Unity amid diversity can be an actual strength of a church's witness to those that are outside of the church. See, I want you to think how incredible it would be for somebody, and I pray this happens, for somebody to be able to walk in here, and maybe you're brand new, welcome, uh, maybe you're online new, welcome, and and to be able to walk in or to hear a conversation from two people that go to Ecclesia who have differing political views, or they're just a bystander, they're seeing social media interaction, how incredible would it be if that person who has no affiliation with Christ, no affiliation with church, looks at that and goes, I cannot believe that you guys who have differing political views on these things can still love each other and say these things about each other and treat each other in that way. Man. That'd be powerful, wouldn't it? Man, I pray that happens. I pray that that's our church. See, I, I, one thing that was really clear when, when, uh, when I became the lead pastor here, God was very clear. He's like, hey, Steve, I want you to create this church with all people that agree with you, that align with you on all different political issues, and, and, and they think like you, and they operate like you, that's what I want you to do. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, we'd be, we'd be sinking. <laughs> uh, that's not what he called. That's not what he asked us. That's not even what he invites us into. And that's what's so beautiful if we can get over ourselves and see what the gospel does and how it unifies us even in our diversity and how that's actually a picture of what God intended and designed with the church. I want you to just look at this. Jesus picked his disciples. They didn't pick him. Okay, so Jesus picks the closest followers, the ones that he is going to start this movement with. And who did he choose? <laughs> did he go, oh, you guys all agree. You guys all think the same way. Come on. No. In fact, just as an example, two of the people, one, Matthew was a tax collector. He represented Rome. He was ripping off his own people. He represented the emperor. He represented what they were against. So, so here's Matthew, and then you have Simon, who's a zealot. Now, a zealot is an extremist. They are bent on overthrowing Rome. And Jesus, I would just imagine he had a smile on his face, said, Hey, Matthew. Hey, Simon. I know you hate him. And then he brings these other, he brings a doctor, he brings fishermen, and all, he brings all these people. And what do you think Jesus was trying to teach us? 
that he can take, and not, not only take, but what he's actually looking to do is to bring to unity, to bring to harmony through the power of the gospel, those of us that are different, because he knew that that would speak more to his power than if he could create this group that already existed, that already agreed. See, you got to remember that even as people are following Jesus, they're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. How is he doing that? Because the gospel does that. See, Jesus didn't design our churches to be just one uh, national thing, one ethnic thing, one one class of people only, right? Or even one political uh, party. He designed our churches to be gatherings of his followers from what? Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Naturally, we are born as what? We are born as enemies. Naturally, we're born as enemies. Naturally, we are born wanting to rule us. We want to be the king of us. We want to make our own decisions for us. We want to write our own stories. And we continue to struggle with this. And that's what God picked. That's what God brought in through the power of the gospel. And, but, but what did he do? Well, we see that he was working against the wall, right? We read about this wall, the dividing wall of hostility separating. Jews and Gentiles, and that wall is still, we allow a wall to be there even in our own lives, but what Jesus did is he tore down that wall, and Galatians 3.28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and just as God made Jew and Gentile one new man through his work on the cross, so he makes us all one. Ephesians 4.3-6 also says Essentially the same thing. That hostility, that divide. He took that. I love how 1 Peter 2.9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What a beautiful thing that he called us out of darkness to be a light. He harmonizes us. He brings us together. He aligns us to his will. And then he says, hey, I brought you out of that darkness. You're going to be a light for me. And you guys, can you think of any greater time to actually be a light for Jesus? It is undeniable that darkness is all around. It is undeniable when you look at the news, when you look at social media, all these things, you just go darkness, darkness, darkness. Oh, we're something good. We're something like just positive. Where is it? Where can I find? it. We're lights. We're called to be lights into the darkness. He brought us into that. Notice also these verses started with what they all were, not what they weren't. We need to really focus in how we deal with each other. We need to focus on what unifies us, not on what divides us. And that's something that you've got to guard your heart with. See, Matthew 6, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's the kingdom that we seek first and foremost. Not man's kingdom. We seek first the kingdom of God. And see... At times, our identities and our values, they become distorted, right? And our hope, it, it becomes misplaced on, on, on these other things. And, 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 and what I want to say is, listen, the election matters, okay? It matters. I am not sitting here saying, oh, you should just all like, like just good luck. 
like, I'm above that. I'm beyond that, right? Like, no, the election matters. We, we, we have the ability and opportunity to actively engage in it. And so that's not what I'm saying. But regarding the results, regardless of the results, we have the ultimate good news. See, our focus is on the kingdom of God, and, and, and so in the heat of, of a political moment, we can start to forget that that's the kingdom that we're a part of. That's what we're supposed to be focused on, and, 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 and so we have to keep reminding and, and assuring ourselves of what Scripture says, of what Jesus even said of himself, regardless of, of, of how far down you think you are or how miserable you think you are. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, what? I have overcome the world. Amen? You guys, regardless of whatever happens after the election, Jesus has overcome the world. Regardless. And so guess what? I'm going to wake up the day, well, whenever that day is when they actually announce the results, who knows? I'm going to wake up that next day, and guess what? I'm going to be the same. My focus should be the same. My hope should be the same. It's a living hope. Um, I, I should be focused on my task, on what Jesus has called me to do. Like, like, that doesn't change. He's an overcomer. See, we're, we're, we're just seeing, like, people acting just horribly towards each other as they engage in political discourse. I mean, it is just nasty. I mean, I'm like, ugh. Really? Oh, and, and, it, and it's awful. Like, like, like you see it. Some of you are like, I don't even have social media anymore. Some of you stop watching the news altogether, regardless of what you were watching. You're like, I'm done. But because but, what we see is we are so bent in accusing each other, demonizing each other, dehumanizing people groups, and characterizing a whole group of people based upon a policy. And we say, oh, they're all that. Or they must be that. Or, or I think they're this. And, and it's so destructive. And many of us have felt this. Many of us uh, have become alienated from family, from friends because of this. And where does this come from? See, this comes from a belief that a certain political ideology is the most important thing in life. And this is the reality and danger of identity politics. See, the beauty and the power of the church isn't discovered in the left versus right political spectrum, but in the power of the gospel. We find our meaning and identity in the person of Jesus Christ. You want to separate yourself from all of this? Listen, find and, and base your identity on Jesus Christ. And out of that you engage in politics. See, our dilemma is that we've allowed, many of us, allowed our politics to inform our theology rather than our theology to form our politics. See, followers of Jesus, we should engage the political system all while understanding that the political system is not our ultimate hope or answer. It's just not. See, when we allow political allegiances to literally identify us, we distort the Bible to justify our politics and allegiance. In other words, if I am this party and this defines everything about me, I have now taken the Bible and said, Bible, you operate under this party. You know what that is? That's idolatry. Guys, that's idolatry. 
And we got to be careful against that. And you better be really careful who you're saying is going to be the spokesperson for the Bible. We got to be careful. We got to allow scripture and our convictions about Christ and the kingdom of God to inform how we engage the election process. See, when Jesus was challenged about his authority, a scribe asked him, What commandment was the greatest? And, and many of you know what he responded with. In Mark 12, 30 and 31, he responded with, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay, so he's asked, and, and what is the greatest command? You shall love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And, and, and so that's our focus. And then he says, out of that is, is this other commandment is you are to love your neighbor as yourself. You are to love other people. So undeniably, at the beginning, at the core of the commandments is that. That's how we live. That's how we operate. That, that's how we live when there is no political season. Uh, that's how we live when it's the, the heaviest of political seasons. That's how we live. That's how we operate. That should be unchanging. And just so we're even more clear as to our role, earlier in Jesus' ministry, when the crowds are starting to form, when he's doing miracles, when people are perplexed at what's happening, and he's chosen his disciples and all of this, he goes up to this mountainside and he starts teaching what we call the Beatitudes. And he starts to transform and change what it looks like to live in light of being a Jesus follower and how different it is. And, and so there's all these beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And he's literally turning and, and flipping upside down their views of what success is, of what, of what achievement is, all these things, of what, of what spirituality is. And I love what he says in verse 9. He says in Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, this is, this is so huge. This, when we look at what Jesus taught, the lessons, how he engaged with others, that's how we're to engage in politics, in these situations, how we engage with other people. As we study and apply scripture, we must carefully examine and follow the life, the lessons, the examples of Jesus. This is how we set our moral compass. See, we see politics causing this great spiritual harm and a big reason it's causing the spiritual harm for people is they are creating this, this expectation that politics is going to meet this inner need that they have. And, and listen, if you're a Jesus follower, you know that that is a void no politics can fix. Politics will not fill that void if you're looking for it to fill that. Politics will never deliver on that. A politician will tell you they can, but they're trying to get your vote. The state of our politics right now, when you look at, is a reflection of our soul. And that's tough. It's tough to think about. So how do we respond to other people? How do we do this? Well, um, I, I know for me, one of the struggles that I have when I think about how I'm to deal with other people is this. When I think about dealing with other people, I want to convince them to think how I think. I mean, that's just, I'm just being honest, right? Like, that's, that's like, like I find myself wanting other people to think and to believe like I do. 
And, 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 and I see this in myself, and I see it flare up in conversations to where literally I will start to form a rebuttal to somebody's argument towards me over a certain policy, and I already have the rebuttal, and they're still talking. They haven't even finished sharing what they want to share. See, I'll, I'll say like, oh, yeah, I want peace. I want peace. But in reality, I want peace that's my way. Right? We'll say, oh, I want peace. Yeah, you want peace, but you want peace on your terms. You want a peace uh, that, that is where they come to see things as you see them. That's what we struggle with. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, peacemakers. There is action associated with peacemaking. Okay, there's action. Uh, there, there is a pursuing. It calls me to go to the other, per the other person for the purpose of peace. I initiate it. Okay, it's not me just waiting. I wonder if they're going to want peace. No, I'm a peacemaker. I'm called to do that. It's a beatitude. And so I go and I approach that other person and I approach them with the purpose of peace. And when I go in that posture, in that way, that is me going with the purpose of understanding them, of listening to them in an intent way. When you look at Jesus' interactions throughout his life, starting even in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, as a kid, when, he's, when they find him in the temple interacting, he's asking questions, even though he knows all the answers. You see him meeting with people, and he is asking questions. Jesus is all-knowing. But he continues to ask. He continues to dialogue. He continues to be intentional with people, even though he already knows. You guys, you may think you already know, but that should not stop you from going and loving and listening and engaging with people and letting them say what they have to say that, so you can get to know them, so that you can start to form a bridge to becoming a peacemaker. Jesus did that. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. said, you have very little morally persuasive power with people who can feel your underlying contempt. Man, that's, that hits. See, there's times we say, well, I'm trying to listen. No. No, and I, I've seen this in myself where I'm saying, oh, I'm listening. I'm not really listening. You know what I'm doing? I'm waiting to attack. There is a difference and how, how you listen to engage to be a peacemaker versus listening with the intent of getting them to believe what I think they need to believe. We need to welcome those who disagree with you as Christ has welcomed you. Man, that's the ultimate, right? Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Do you realize that Christ brought you in? He welcomed you in. And, 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 and you had a, a very different set of values, a different, a, a, a different way of living. Uh, you had a different way of morality. Uh, and you felt very self-sufficient. And, and, and Christ brought you in. He was the peacemaker with you. You are adoptive, we read. Uh, he, he, he specifically came and he said, I, want, I desire you, relationship with you. And I don't know about you, but for me, that was not like, oh, you're lucky to get me. No, I don't know what happened to where he was stuck with me. But he says, now I want you to do that. You're to treat other people just as he welcomed you in. Like that's our mindset. So, so instead of me going, how do I combat you? How do I beat you? I should be saying, how do I welcome you? How do I invite you in? That's a totally different conversation. It's a totally different mindset. And that is totally countercultural, okay? 
So we need to love those who differ from us. We need to respect them, not disdain them. And we also have to continue to remember what the New Testament emphasizes as the best means for pursuing a just world. You know what it says? You know what is the most important emphasis? If you want a just world, we need to be making disciples. Our political engagement outside should flow out of our justice and righteousness-seeking lives inside. So how I engage ultimately points back to my relationship with Jesus and my understanding of who he is and what he's called me to do and how to live, right? Ultimately. So when I see someone post something, when I see somebody say this to me and I'm like, oh, you know what I'm not thinking? I'm not thinking I don't like you anymore. Unfollow. Cancel. I'm not thinking that. You know what I'm thinking? Man, we've got a discipleship issue. We've got a discipleship issue here, man. We've got we to gotta fix this. We've got to help this person navigate through this. See, it's not, it's not surprising that, that people that don't believe in Jesus would view the election as the most important thing in the world because it, 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 has, to, it has to land for them. It has to become their hope. It, and it, essentially, it's a form of worship for people. You see people worshiping this, the outcome of this. And, and listen, as Christians, we should know better than that. Jesus, because either way, like I said, either way, whatever the outcome is, whenever we get the outcome, Jesus is going to win. Jesus is going to win. His kingdom does not hang in the balance based upon who wins the election. It doesn't. We already know what happens with his kingdom, okay? Jesus' followers should have unity, faith, love, and a living hope in these times. And, and, and here's what you also have to be on guard against. See, our culture would love to paint you as a villain. In fact, media, um, man, I believe unfairly tries to report uh, things that, that, that are, are negative towards uh, Jesus' followers m- much of the time. But I will say this. Many times we have earned that label by being so loud about all the things we are in opposition to. And we have to be careful because at some point, you're not just impacting those people that, that, that you think you're reaching. You're actually changing the view and the perception of who other people think Jesus is and what Jesus is about. To the point where, where, where it's literally now when you meet with someone and they're not a Jesus follower and you say, oh, I'm a Christian. They've already got different views of you that maybe are not the views you hoped or wish they would have as a starting point. It's interesting, the Barna Group surveyed young non-Christians in America about the top characteristics of Christians. And these are the top three descriptors. Anti-gay, judgmental, and hypocritical. You want to be a Christian? That's tough. That's tough to know that if you're going to engage with a young adult, you're starting behind already in their view. And what they think of you, when they think about your agenda, when they think about where your, your desires are with them. And the worst is, is, is literally judgmental, hypocritical. Man, that's tough because they don't even think what you're saying is something you actually believe. And we need to receive that as much as we don't want to. See, nowhere in the findings does it mention that Christians are loving. 
which is how Jesus said we will be known, nor are we described by the fruits of the Spirit. See, we've become known more for who we've excluded than who we've embraced, more for what we're against than what we're actually for. And, 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 and listen, there, like, if you doubt or question me, look at your news feed. What is it saying? What is going on in your mind and your heart? What are other people hearing? What are your family members hearing? What are your friends hearing? What are your coworkers hearing? Are they hearing everything that you're in opposition to or are they hearing about Jesus? Are they hearing about that living hope? Are they hearing that, that, that yeah, all this is swirling, but God is so good that regardless of what happens, your faith's not gonna be shaken, that the gospel has a unifying effect that's gonna cause you to love them or love others that disagree with you. Are, are, are they hearing that in us? Are, are, are we inviting people into that? See, when, when we think about this, like this call to love one another, it includes those who don't vote like you. And you've got to be careful because in our culture, in our world, there's literally, based upon how you get your news, uh, your social media feed, there are algorithms that are designed to pull us apart, to give you more of what you want, for that person to get more of what they want. And what it does is it pulls us apart who are going to be the ones to pull us back together? I believe it's got to be Jesus followers. I believe it's got to be us who are called to be peacemakers that are going to be the ones that model the gospel, that model what it looks like to go like this, just as Jesus did, to go like that and go, let's come together. Let's come together. In voicing and pursuing our convictions, we not only represent ourselves, we represent Jesus and this is not to suggest, I don't want to get this confused, this is not to suggest that we can't have strong convictions, but there is a distinction between being passionate about our convictions and being mean-spirited. Be careful not to dehumanize those you disagree with. They're made in the image of God. God loves them just as much as he loves you. And in our self-righteousness, We've got to be careful because we can become the very thing that we criticize in others. That's why James 1, 19 and 20, it says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, politics has its role, but Christ is the most significant aspect of our community. To be humble is to acknowledge that, you know what, even I have my blind spots. And it's to give space for others who have differing views, knowing that they, they, they're going to have their own blind spots. They're going to be on their own journey with the Lord in their own place in that sanctification process. And, and we don't know unless we get to know them, unless we actively listen. I love uh, this, this description of actively listening. It says this, Active listening is the practice of taking in someone else's words before mentally preparing a response. And it's not easy. In other words, for me to actively listen to somebody who, may, who I may already know I disagree with, who I already may, may go like, man, I know this is going to be a fight, but I'm choosing to not uh, already have my answer, already have my opinion. I am going to sit here and I'm going to listen to everything they say. For some of you, that sounds like torture. But that's active listening. That's demonstrating and showing that you really care about that person. You guys, I have learned so much about other people and people from different cultures. Not from studying all these books, but from sitting down and listening and engaging. You will be amazed at what that does for you. 
If we want to be a people who bring hope and healing to a broken culture with the message of Jesus, we must become better listeners so we can stop tearing others down and be about the kingdom of God. See, we don't love our neighbor for affirmation. We love them because he first loved us. He called us to follow him, right? Follow me. Well, he went to some uncomfortable destinations and he had some uncomfortable dinners that many people didn't like or want to sit at with a lot of people that had differing views in him. But he says, follow me, okay? Like as Jesus followers, I know that's gonna be complicated. It's gonna be difficult. It's, it's gonna be humbling, but that's what he calls us into. And like no other time, we have this opportunity, you guys, like no other time to authenticate the message we've been preaching. This is, this is when it authenticates that I actually believe that. That I actually believe I love you just as much as myself. That, that I actually believe uh, that God loves you. That God has a plan for you. That God wants you to be a part of his kingdom. And that does not mean me going, oh, you're like that. Stay away from God's kingdom. No. Understanding and realizing that God invited you and I in. And he wants to invite them in. And he's going to use you to be a light in the darkness. The question is, will I allow myself to be a light? Will I allow him to use me? And I pray that we do. I pray that other people look to you and see Jesus during this time. I pray that, that we share with other people how much Jesus loves them. And, and, and I pray that, that they know that we actually believe that. I pray that they see that in what we post. I pray that they, 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 they see that in how we interact with people. I pray that they hear that if they listen into a conversation we have. Listen, I want to close with this one thought. And I know I've, I've tried to swallow a whole bunch with this topic. But I want to close with this thought. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house for a meal. His name is Simon. He goes to the Pharisee's house and he's sitting there. And this lady, who it describes as a sinner, comes to the dinner. Simon uh, is sitting there going, if only he knew how much of a sinner she is. And, and Jesus, you know, seeing what's going on, seeing the dynamics of the room, um, he's all-knowing, uh, says, says, hey, I want to tell you a parable. He tells him a parable about, hey, um, this, this moneylender gave this much and this much to these two people. They couldn't repay, and he forgave them both. And one was given way more amount than the other. Who do you think... Uh, who do you think was, was more responsive to that, to that, to that forgiveness? Oh, and the Pharisees like, obviously, the one, the, the one who was forgiven the greater debt. And Jesus says something very interesting. He looks at Simon, and he says this. This is exactly what he says. He says, Simon, do you see her? Do you see her? This is a woman who's, who's washing his feet with her hair. And he's so caught up in how she's a sinner at his area, at his dinner. And Jesus stops after the parable and he says, Simon, this is your home. Do you see her? Do you even see her? Guys, I wonder right now who we're supposed to be seeing. I wonder. I wonder who's supposed to have a seat at my table. I wonder who I'm supposed to be reaching out to. I wonder, because I know everything right now is geared towards distracting me from my purpose. And I do not want to miss this moment in time where God's called me. He's given us a platform to be a light with darkness everywhere. And I pray that we embrace it, we run towards it, and we live it out. Not because we can in our flesh, but because of the gospel. Amen? Let's, let's pray.